you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be in verses 7, 24 through chapter 8 and verse 1. And if you don't know, there, were, there weren't any sort of uh, chapter uh, breaks in the original Bible, so I'm not breaking any rules there. So we're going to go from Matthew 7, 24 to chapter 8 and verse 1. We're ending this series on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is giving us a picture of what it means to be His people in this world a people who don't just follow along with either the works of the flesh, the principalities and powers of the world, or the way of least resistance, whether that is in a way of rebellion, but really in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to this way of empty religion. And so as we see the ending of this sermon that Jesus gives us, His message, we'll see Him give us an invitation that is a wisdom saying, that contains a warning, but within that warning is He who gives it to us an invitation to life. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through chapter 8, verse 1. Let's hear the words of Jesus. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. We ask as Jesus prayed for us that you would set us apart as your people by your word, by your truth. We pray that your truth would set us free today. Holy Spirit, we ask You to help us to be present with Your presence. We ask You to help us to see Jesus, to see ourselves, to see the good news of the kingdom, of the King in whose name we pray. Amen. Why do we remember what we do? It it seems like there's certain sermons and examples I've heard that I, I keep coming back to, and one of them was one that I heard where a pastor gave this story, and the details leave me, but here's the gist of it. In this, par- in this pastor's church, there were two parents, and both of these parents committed their lives to raising their children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, to do the right things, to sort of feel the right things, to cre- create the right environment for growth, so that their child could grow up and be a responsible, knowledgeable, whole Christian follower of Jesus. And both seemingly did the same things and did them well, but the sad ending, at least up until the point that I heard this story, was that both of these children rebelled against their family's desires. Both of them left the faith and wanted little to nothing to do with the family. But that tragic ending wasn't over because while both of the parents were reasonably upset, While one of them was sad and grieved yet with hope as a continued journey with Jesus, the other one was enraged and embittered against God 
and also stepped away from a life of following Jesus. The parent was embarrassed to have done all the right things but not get the right results. There was a lot to show for it in the process. It looked good. They could be praised by other people for their discipline, for their love, for the way that they ran their home, for the way that they led their children into worship. But they had nothing to show for it. And with nothing to show for it, they had no reason themselves to go on. One's house was built on the rock and one's house was built on the sand. And the question for us today that Jesus is saying is, what about you? Are you following God? Are you following Jesus for what can be seen and for what you will have to show for it in the end? What you've done, what you've produced, what you sacrificed and served to get, and how that will be seen. And Jesus is saying, if that is so, you will not stand when this life beats you up and you will ultimately not stand in the judgment. When the purity of God's justice flows over your heart. Only what is deeper will hold. And everyone in here, I bet, feels this pull to only give ourselves to what can be seen, to what can be measured, to what can be promoted, to what produces. And we're all tempted to quit when it seems that our doing doesn't deliver. Now sure, we can go on for a while, but at a certain point, in our hearts, our flesh is saying, Jesus, I better get the return on my investment and other people better be able to see it. I didn't sacrifice and do all this if we're honest, just for you. We're all prone to focus on the superficial that can be seen over the depths that are ultimately going to be what really shows up in our lives. We're all prone to build our faith on the foundation of our own doing rather than on our being with God in Christ. The story of these two parents could be the story of any two professing disciples who were doing all the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. This is what Jesus has hit on and hammered on throughout this Sermon on the Mount. The difference in an external righteousness and religion that the Pharisees have, but He's told us that if we are to be His disciples, we must have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus isn't lowering the bar here. Jesus is aiming for our hearts. He's aiming for us to have a relationship with God, a relationship with Him that we cannot manage or control with our own checklist religion. The story of these parents could be the story of any two missional communities. If you're new, this is a way that we organize to live the life of the church beyond this Sunday gathering. But there can be missional communities that are built on sand or built on rock. Those built on rock that serve from the identity that God gives them as a family of servant missionaries and those building on sand who only want to go out and do things that set them apart as Christians and not as those who have been set apart. It could be the story of two students in this room who are both working hard 
to make good grades and pursue a life of vocation in this next season. But one is feeling entitled and putting God in their debt for their hard work and is building the whole college experience on a sand if they don't get what they want out of it in the end, while another may be similarly disappointed in certain ways and yet experience a deeper relationship with Jesus. Some of you in here who may consider yourself as broken may be on a fool's errand thinking that you can serve your way out of your brokenness. But your legalistic serving will not heal those wounds of shame that you have. Others of you in here who may be burnt out on empty religion, you're like, this is why I'm here. It's because of this message. I love this message. But sin is so deceptive. And you may think you can doctrine or gospel of grace your way out of your burnout heart, and you never will. It will just be a new form of legalism. Still others of you in here who are bored with a Sunday-only, listen-to-a-sermon way of following Jesus may think you can missional your way out of your lack of meaning. But if you do it with yourself at the center of your religious universe or to impress others or to outdo others, you will find yourself staring in the mirror of meaninglessness even more deeply. The only way out, Jesus is saying, is you've got to let me into your heart. You've got to give me yourself. And you've got to let myself have yourself. There's a long redemptive history in God's words of humanity's efforts just to keep up with the externals. To think that if you just do all the right things, say all the right things, and show all the right things, that you'll have a stable life of human flourishing. But Jesus is saying here, it is sand. This is why the therefore is here. You may not see it, but in verse 24, it, in our translation it reads, everyone then, but that word then is, is therefore in the text. Jesus is connecting the end here of our, of our sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with all that's came before, but particularly with this last section where He said there will be many on that last day who said, Lord, Lord, look at all we did. Look at all we did. And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. You were still basing your life, your righteousness on what you did. So what Jesus is telling us here, He's giving us a vision. He's, he's wanting to enter not just in the realm of information, but our imagination in these verses today. That we would see these two houses, these two ways of building our life, and He would call us to choose to build a deeper life with Him over a superficial life around ourselves. This is what He's calling us to do. He's called us to this throughout this whole sermon. He's calling us this morning through these images to build a deeper life with Him versus a superficial life by ourselves. The first way He does this is He wants us to see the invisible or the internal as the location of stability and more important than the visible or the external. So He wants us to see where should we focus? Where should we prioritize? Our life with God. Our life with others. Our life is the kingdom. It should be on the invisible. The internal. 
Notice verse 24. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his life, or his house that is, on the rock. So they're hearing Jesus. But there's a hearing here that's going to be contrasted. He's going to give us the same sort of example, building on the rock, building on the sand. Both will hear, but we're, we're already being tapped into how Jesus is, is talking about these different ways that people hear Him. It, it's, it's a deeper way of hearing that Jesus is talking about. It's also here we see a life of obedience. So not someone who just hears Jesus and says, yeah, 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 but notice who hears these words and does them. They obey Jesus as Lord. But again, what type of obedience? Just like we had to define fruit last time, we have to define doing this time. The Pharisees and scribes do a lot. But they're not doing at the level of the heart. Both hear, but only one hears. Jesus is saying, both do, but really only one does. And the beauty that's found in the kingdom is you do these things that on the surface look the same. But when you do them from the heart, it changes everything. This is what Jesus has said. There are some who think only lust is those who actually engage in the activity. But Jesus says if you look at someone with lust from your heart, that matters. Some will say it's only those who maybe make an oath who it matters if they're dishonest. But Jesus says, if you don't have the type of integrity, that if you just say, yes, it's enough, then you've missed the point. And He goes on and on throughout this whole sermon, saying this is the wise life. That's why He says, those who do them will be like a wise man who built his life on the rock. Now this building may take longer. Because the person who is a true craftsman, and we might say here a craftsman of the heart, is not just wanting to throw something up that looks good for a season. It's a craftsman who wants to build something that's most beautiful and both last. The rock here, a lot of times we just want to go straight real fast and say the rock is Jesus, and I think there's some application of that. But I think here in ancient Near Eastern times, when they went to build a house, obviously they, we can't just read our house building processes into this. It's what they're digging for is to hit rock. They want to build a house, they're going to have to go deep into the ground until they hit some rock to connect that structure to. The metaphor here, the image is, is it's going to the root. It's going to the heart. You don't just throw something up. You want to contact it to that which stands. And that which stands, Jesus says, is this way of life that's united to Him as the one who is the way. So verse 25 tells us, The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. Harder work? Yes. Not easier. But when life hits, it stands. They would have seen this in their context. Again, when these floods come, these I think the word is a wadi out of nowhere. These houses could just be washed away. This would have been very real to him. It may be a long time since you guys have ever seen a flood just carry a house down the street. You may have watched it on the news. But they would have known this image. 
And Jesus would be saying, when life hits you that way, when the winds beat down, this is the kind of house that will stand because it's not just a superficial surface that's been built for the approval or applause of others, but it was connected to that which was real. And ultimately here, Jesus also is speaking of final judgment. If you read throughout the Scriptures, you'll see these language of wind and particularly flood speaks of that day that arrives when God finally calls everyone to the reality of accounting for the truth of their hearts. And when that day comes, a superficial, man-pleasing, get-it-done way of religion will just be revealed to be the empty structure that it is. The foundation is the focus. Everything else may look the same. All the doing. All the serving. What Jesus is saying here is He said throughout this whole Sermon on the Mount, it's the foundation that matters. Another common illustration we've used that I just thought was so, uh, so perfect for this is, is this illustration of these two missionaries or actually one missionary that served overseas, but he served alongside this ambassador to a foreign country. It's been used many times, so here I'm just using it again. This missionary couple served all their life, sacrificing, didn't see the kind of fruit that maybe they hoped they would have seen, left family, left comforts, left maybe initial dreams that they had in their life to follow Jesus and to go do the hard things. Alongside this ambassador that also had went, but he had lived the, the life of full and total comfort. He had spared himself no pleasures. He had lived, we might say, a wicked and immoral life of success and of public prominence. And so as the story goes, maybe made up, they're both arriving on the shores of some city in America after two lives that have both been given to two different ways of life. And as the ambassador gets off of the ship, as it were, there's a parade waiting for him. There's bands playing. There's people celebrating. And as the missionary couple gets off the ship, there ain't nobody there. Nobody knows. Nobody seems to care. The family that they had left are bitter because they left. It looks like they wasted their lives. The story goes, the husband starts to get angry, embittered, resentful, and says, I cannot believe that we gave our lives to serving Jesus. And we did all that, and look, nobody cares. We have nothing to show for it. We get home, and there's nothing. He gets home, and there's everything. And the wife looks at him and says, we're not home yet. Jesus is calling His people here into a way of life that asks for a faith that believes that the invisible is more important than the visible. There's not less doing, there's not less sacrifice, there's not less surface, service, but it's not going to be seen always on the surface. 
And we've got to bring this into our own lives. You're following Jesus in your home and nobody else seems to care. Parent, why keep trying to do family worship with your kids? They don't want you to do it. They don't respect you for doing it. They wish you were more like other families who did not take this whole following Jesus thing so seriously. Student at school who wants to yield your whole experience of mind, heart, and body to Jesus, you will have friends who will be annoyed by that to no end. So why care? Missional communities. You will plan, you will try every different thing you can to get people passionate about a common mission, to have people treated as not just a, another program that you get to and then leave as soon as you can to get on with the rest of your life. Everybody might be much more happier if you could just find a way that works and keeps everybody happy and comfortable. We could go on and on with the illustrations and we're going to have to hear Jesus say to us, you're not home yet. You're going to have to have faith, which is a, a, a convincing that what is unseen is, is real. You're going to have to have the Sermon on the Mount tell you what is real. We live in an information age, don't we, where we don't even know who to believe. You can talk to... It's horrible, isn't it? You can talk to two doctors who work in the same field to interpret medical data now, and you know that their personality and politics probably play every bit as much into that as their physical profession and degrees. It's so frustrating. And the same is true with our lives. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's fact-checking everybody else. What does it look like to live the good life in this world? Jesus is going to have to be the one that tells us this Sermon on the Mount is going to have to be our roadmap. We're going to have to come back to it. And we're going to have to say, really, is it really blessed to be poor in spirit? Is it really blessed to mourn? Is it really blessed for me to be humble and meek? Is it really blessed to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Is it really blessed to be a peacemaker? Because it doesn't look like it's working. And Jesus wants us to call us into the beauty of that. To be a people who live for something different, for something deeper, for something real in this superficial world of sand. But to do so, we're going to have to hear Jesus from our hearts. We're going to have to cultivate a relationship with Him like that uh, uh, stereotypical old couple who can sit on the porch in the front porch swing and they don't have to say anything to each other, but they're communicating more than most other couples ever will. Do we have a vision for that type of life with Jesus where you can pray without even saying anything? The beauty of a relationship when you're really known and you know that if you're really known, you'll still be really loved. It's not too late. 
No matter how young you are in here or how old you are in here, it is not too late to move towards that type of intimate, heart-connected relationship with Jesus. Of loving Him from the heart. Of repenting of a righteousness that's just like the scribes and the Pharisees. Of moving to a faith, a hope, and a love. Terry Virgo in his book, uh, God's Lavish Grace, he speaks of this story in the Old Testament of Jonathan. And I believe it's Jonathan's armor bearer. And, and they know the enemy's over here. And they don't really know what's going to happen. But Jonathan's like, hey, why don't we go over there? Perhaps God will do something. When's the last time that's kind of how your heart was? It's like, I don't know what the plan is, but why don't we just show up and perhaps God will do something? When's the last time you showed up to your missional community not thinking, I wish they'd give me something to do? When's the last time you showed up to your fight club saying, I wish this would hurry up and get over with. When's the last time you showed up to your workplace saying, I can't wait to get home and get off the clock. When's the last time you showed up in your dorm room or your suite or your, just the stuff of your everyday life? And it wasn't just a going through the motions of a dead works routine, but it was like the Lord has put me here. He is with me. What's He going to do? What's He going to do if I, keep, if I quit just focusing on the external but focus on the internal? All of us in here have Job's wife in our head saying, why don't you curse God and die? But maybe we need Jonathan in our head saying, perhaps God is going to do something. But the only way we get there is we have to build our life on the rock. The sand and the rock, they're doing the same thing. You know, Pharisees and scribes and followers of Jesus both read their Bible and pray but it's not the same thing. Jesus has told us both give to serve the poor. Chapter 6, but it's not the same thing. Both fast, but it's not the same thing. And only the, those who build their life on the rock, that is of something deeper, will stand. So we have to see that invisible is more stable than the visible. And then Jesus gives us the, the reverse here in verses 26 and 27. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So this is, a, again, they hear, but they're not hearing from the heart. They do. You could argue the scribes and Pharisees are going to outdo you every day. They're tithing their spouse rack. They're memorizing the whole Old Testament. They're so scheduled and disciplined. I mean, they're getting up earlier than you. I mean, they're just getting it done. But it's external. And Jesus says it's a life of foolishness. They're strong words. It looks like common sense to the world to just focus on what you can measure and get done. And Jesus says, sounds like a real waste of a life to me. It's building on the sand. Lots of work. And it oftentimes will look much better 
than the houses built on the rock. I mean, people who work hard are going to make things look great. It may not always look better, but a lot of times it may look better, but it will not stand. Verse 27, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. In life it doesn't stand, in judgment it will not stand. We don't like to talk about it, and we shouldn't like to talk about it, but Jesus has more to say about the reality of hell than anybody else in the Bible. We don't have time to go through all those texts and debate all those nuances. If you want to talk about that sometime, we can. But you cannot say that you believe in the real Jesus of the Bible and say there's not one day going to be a judgment. And for those who were oppressed by religious establishments and systems of spiritual abuse, that wasn't bad news. Jesus saying justice is coming. One day what is real will be revealed. And Jesus is saying here, notice, everyone. When He says everyone who hears it but doesn't follow Me, He's saying there's not going to be any, any exceptions, no matter what degrees, no matter what roles, what titles, what platforms, what positions people were in, how praised they were by the world, what is real will be revealed. We're coming on the end of summer, and some of you may have went to the beach, we didn't go this year. Love going to the beach. But one of the things you like doing at the beach, at least if you have little kids, some of you might do it while you're older, is building sandcastles. And sometimes, one time we were at the beach and we, we were at the end of like a sandcastle competition. I just remember seeing some of these really awesome sandcastles. I mean, they are super elaborate. And it's awesome. And it's amazing what people can do with the art of sand. But if you go back there a week later, you wouldn't even know what happened. And this is what so much, I believe, of our discipleship, our lives, our churches can be like. Sandcastle, sandcastle competitions. Oh, look what I can do. I can memorize the book of Ephesians. Nothing wrong with doing that. But why are you doing it? If you're doing it for others' glory, it's a sandcastle. Oh, our church does this, not like this other church. Why are you doing that? For comparison, competition? Sandcastle competition. How much of our lives are what the book of Hebrews calls, in Hebrews chapter 11, dead works. This is what the Pharisees lived. They were dead works. They looked great, but they were like whitewashed tombs, Jesus said. Dead works. What will make the difference? You've you got to hear Jesus. A lot of times my wife wants to talk to me. And she wants me to listen and hear. And you know what my bad heart is like, I would never say this out loud, I wish you would just shut up and tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do so we can move on. I wonder how many of us have a heart that can be bent like that towards God. Jesus is saying, I, I want to be with you. I just want being with you to be enough. 
I want to commune with you when you're alone. When you come together in missional community, I just want us being together to be good. And invite some other people who don't want me to get in on it. How many of us are like, I need the plan. I need the plan. I need the plan. Plans are good. But you've got to ask yourself, why? Why? Like Martha and Mary, are you so busy serving that you never have any time to just sit at Jesus' feet? And we miss the better portion in our individual lives and our lives together. What about your doing? There can be a very, very, very quick slide into doing that is built on sand. One of the ways this happens is when we're motivated by guilt and shame and fear and not by grace and love. You know, a lot of our works in the church and for Jesus, we're just doing it to get somebody else off our back. Somebody else is projecting their guilt onto us. Some people walk around and Lord bless their hearts, they've got this real should in their heart, this real should mentality, and they're really anxious until everybody else feels that should. And so they're like walking around with all this anxiety of how things ought to be perfect. And they're, they're just permeating that and bleeding that on everybody everywhere they go. And so what a lot of times we do is it's like, well, I guess we just need to do it. And deep down we're like, I don't want to do it. I don't like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And it's a dead work. Others of us, as we've confessed today already, serve idols in the name of serving Jesus. We do all the churchy stuff for control. If I do this, then I'll get this position or title. And then I'll really be something. It's a dead work. Others of us, especially me, we do things for approval. Man, if I do this, these people will like me. I really want to be liked. It's a dead work. For comfort. How many ideas can I come up from just doing what needs to be done now? We do things just to make things easier on ourselves. And we can baptize that in all types of visionary language. As we've said before, some people want to change the world so they don't have to change the laundry. Some of you students in here, no doubt, right, have big dreams and big plans and big ideas, and they're great. Go for it. Don't let anybody tell you not to. But just make sure you're serving on the rock of the person and work of Christ. And the last idol we often mention is performance. How many of us are serving in the church or in the world simply to prove ourselves? I gotta prove myself to these other people. I gotta prove myself to my family. Or even more, I gotta prove myself to myself. And sadly, sometimes we even think, I've gotta prove myself to God. This is foolishness. So our only hope is to see what they saw. 
but to see it not merely in externally, but internally. So verse 28 says, When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When He came down from the mountain, great crowds followed Him. We've got to not only see the invisible as more important and primary and to be prioritized in the visible, we've not only got to see that the invisible or the visible, that is, is only as meaningful as the invisible, but we've got to see Jesus as the only way to give life to both the visible and the invisible. So Jesus finishes this sermon, and what a sermon it was. This section has ended, and the crowds we see here are astonished. They're amazed. They're overwhelmed. And why? It's because He's teaching with authority. Now, this is not the first time they've had somebody stand before them and teach as an authority. They've got lots of authorities. So they're not saying they recognize Jesus' authority. No, they're actually saying the reason they're astonished is because He doesn't have a title of authority, but He speaks with authority. And this ties into what this whole sermon is about. Jesus is speaking as someone who really believes what He's saying and who really lives what He's saying. These aren't just religious words for Him. This is His life. This is who He is. This is the kingdom that He is the King over. And they sense it. They feel it. They're compelled by it. He's not like a second-hander scribe that is just regurgitating what he's been heard. This is something that is flowing from who he is. This is why he says, verse 24 and verse 26, these words of mine. What Jesus has done in this sermon is astonishing. And it will ultimately lead to his death. He has said, Moses has said this, but I say to you. Jesus has said, you've heard all these religious authorities tell you about how to read the Bible. No, here's how you do it. Jesus has said, you've, you've thought that you understood the law and the prophets, but I'm the one who comes to fulfill them. He is saying He is the Messiah. He is the King. He is Lord. And for those who have ears to hear, He is saying He is God. Because you don't just throw the word Lord around. We had a building project at our house, putting an outbuilding in our backyard. And if you know me, you could ask Cassie, I can barely change a light bulb. And i got to be asked that to do that a few times probably before I do it. So I needed help. Overwhelming. We're here to the end of this Sermon on the Mount, and I think if we're hearing this, it is astonishing and it's a little overwhelming. There's a reason we fall into dead and empty religion. It's controllable. You can come up with a checklist and execute it. You can read your Bible, share the Gospel, and attend church events. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I'm talking about. I want your heart. I want your whole self. I want to be Lord of all, or I can't be Lord at all. Well, the good news in my building project is that I have a dad who's good at stuff like this, and I have a, big, and a little brother who's good at stuff like this. And when they come, 
and they lead the project, and they do the work, they let me in on it. And I'm so thankful they do. And it gets done. If you try to walk away from the Sermon on the Mount and do this in your willpower and in your own strength and with your own plans and in your own power, then you have epically missed the point. And for some reason, that's just how my heart was wired. When I got started preparing this sermon this week, I was thinking, this is all going to be underlining that word, whoever does, whoever does. And I had to be reminded by the Holy Spirit, what is Jesus talking about doing here? He's talking about living a life of utter dependence upon God. A life that's not about our external show, but is about our internal substance. He wants us to be free from the burden of behavioral checklist religion. From checklist living, from self-absorbed comfort seeking. He wants us to be astonished that He would come and share this with us. That He would teach us what is real in a world of what is fake. We've got to be astonished that He comes to do what we read in Hebrews 9.14 where it tells us that the blood of Christ cleanses your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Do you realize that all the work that you have done from the flesh simply for comfort, approval, or control or performance, Jesus isn't saying, you, you failed, you blew it. Jesus is saying, no, I came and gave myself to cleanse you even from all those dead works. That you don't have to walk away from the Sermon on the Mount, from this wisdom, from these warnings, with your head hung down saying, I just found out another way that I'm not enough. I just found out another way I'll never measure up. No, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That's how He started this thing. That's how He's ending this thing. Blessed are those who build their lives on the rock of my person and my work. wants us to be astonished at that. Astonished that He who will die for our sin will rise for us and will give us the Spirit now that we, like me with my dad and brother, can go to work with Him. And maybe not usually have a clue what's going on, but show up and say, perhaps the Lord will do something. So what is our response? Will we choose to build a deeper life with Jesus or will we go on with a superficial life for self? But He's covered it all. And as we prepare now to go to the Lord's table, we just ask if everyone would close their eyes. If you're new here this morning, each week we respond to the Word of God with an invitation to the table of Jesus. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, the invitation for you right now is to come to Jesus. Is to, as one hymn writer said, to lay your deadly doing down. So what it means to follow Jesus is to not do better and try harder is to say, I give up. He wants you to give up today so you can be free. To trust in His life that was lived for you, His death that was died for you, and His resurrection that now lives to empower you. You can do that even right now by just calling upon Him for forgiveness and trusting Him as Lord.
But for those of us in here who are followers of Jesus, Jesus invites us to partake of His table. And each time we do that, He asks us to be reminded of the fact that it is His life that is our life. His blood that is our hope. And we have a few questions that we ask before we do that. And the first is, what idols do you need to bring to the table? And hear Jesus speaking a better word of good news over. What wounds do you need to bring to the table? And where do you need to hear Jesus speaking a word of healing? What lies do you need to bring to the table? And where do you need to hear Jesus speaking the truth that will set you free? If you're new here, we have four tables that we're going to circle around. You don't got to say nothing if you don't want to, but there will be people who will be leading a time of reflection around these questions, and we hope we'll encourage one another with the gospel. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can, you can still even come stand around and listen as we share the love of Christ with one another. So at this time, let's go to the Lord's table.